people enter into many competitions. If you remember American Idol back in the day, I don't know if it's still going on. I know America's Got Talent is still a thing, still happening. I think there was a Dancing with the Stars competition that was going on a number of years ago. But you know what? An intriguing competition that I see little clips of on Facebook Reels is slapping competitions. <laughs> it uh, amazes me that people want to stand there and let someone slap them in the face on purpose. I don't think that's one of the competitions that I would want to enter into. But one of the reasons that people enter into a competition like that is they want to be the last man standing. Uh, you know, you see these guys fall over and they're, you know, you've got that, that motor skill thing that happens when you're concussed. You can see them and they get a little bit of twitching happening. You don't want to be that one. You want to be the one that's still standing at the end of that. Um, there are lots of different competitions from arm wrestling to bodybuilding. You know, there are other ways that people compete uh, in academic settings, you know, seeking to be a valedictorian or salutatorian, uh, magna cum laude, cum laude, summa cum laude. There's all kinds of ways in which people compete. You know, there's the Oscars and the Emmys and all other manner of things. And then you get to like normal people life and you know, airman of the quarter, airman of the year, sailor of the year, sailor of the quarter, employee of the year. Like just the competition, the lists just go on and on and on. When you win, there's usually some kind of a ceremony or an award. Most people, most people like to have their work or accomplishments recognized. We like attaboys. A great job. We like it. It's normal. It's natural. In stark contrast, there is a way different concept of glory when it comes to, to God's perspective. God's perspective on glory and glorification is not the same as our world's perspective. Earlier in the Gospel of John, we were introduced to this expression when John was laying out the groundwork for the Gospel. I believe you'll remember it. It is, not, it is a, a fairly popular verse of Scripture. It's from John 1.14. We have seen His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen His glory. And as we've gone through the pages of the Gospel of John, we have seen in broadening and deepening ways how glorious Jesus is. He's, he's amazing. We've seen His nature on display. We've seen His divine nature. We've seen His human nature. We see His person under control. From scene to scene, under control. While being opposed, under control. While being lauded, under control. Exalted, uh, spoken well of under control. People in hysteria, and he's under control. We see something of his person. We see his work. Healing a man born blind. Giving life to the legs of a man who, who hadn't walked in 38 years. And giving life to a man who was dead in a grave for four days. Like we just see his power on display. His, his nature, his person, his work, they're clearly displayed and they're demonstrations of his glory. But now we have arrived at the great unveiling of Jesus' glory as we come to, to John 12. And we've spent a couple of weeks already on John 12 and there are several more to go. There's so much in John chapter 12, that if we were to try to hurry our way through it, we're going to miss not just little bits and packets, but we're going to miss big, 
theological, life-giving, joy-producing truth. With the opposition of the Pharisees, on one hand, and the belief of Jews and Gentiles, on the other hand, we now have arrived at a, a scene in which it's time for Jesus to be glorified. Look at John 12 and verse 23. John 12, 23. This comes on the heels of some Greeks showing up and saying, hey, we, we want to see Jesus. <laughs> Sir, we would wish to see Jesus. And Philip and Andrew go and tell him. Verse 23, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And in some ways, even in this chapter, we see bits and pieces of that as Mary anoints Jesus' feet with that expensive perfume. There's a way in which Jesus is being glorified. He's being exalted. It's, there's a, an indication that Jesus is more than a common man. And Jesus, in His response to that, says, she has anointed my anointed me for my death, for my burial. So he opens the, the spectrum beyond the worship to talking about what he's really there for. And then in the next scene, we see the, the large crowds gathering and they're exalting Jesus and asking for the salvation from Jesus. Hosanna, which is Lord, save us now. So we see this glorification there. They're saying, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. They're recognizing that Jesus is the promised Messiah in some ways. So this glorification is ramping up. But the glorification of Jesus was much more complicated than our human minds would ever dare to conceive. The abundant harvest would only come through death. This is what Pastor Jeff led us through last week from verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so our, our conception of glory is not the same as that. <laughs> Jesus invited His followers. Is that you? <laughs> Jesus invited His followers to understand that real life and real fruit comes through death. And He invites His followers to embrace that not only in His life, but also in our own. That real fruit in us comes through our death. seeing ourselves in a different way than we would naturally. In cherishing the life offered by God and thus not cherishing our own lives, we would experience honor that is associated with Jesus. That's how that passage last week ended. As we yield ourselves up to the Lord and say, yeah, your life is of infinite value and my life is finite and temporary and it, my life generally yields death. L let me exchange. I'll, I'll take your life. You take mine. And he says the way that that ends is honor from the Father. It's pretty interesting. So that leads us to our passage for this morning. And we can't even cover everything in this text this morning. We're going to cover maybe two-thirds of it. There'll be some leftovers for weeks to come. Um, but look at verses 27 and following from John 12. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. 
Then in a voice, then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard that the law from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. There's no way to unpack all of the significance here in the short time. But setting the tone for this passage is what we already read from verse 23. Now is the time. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Pastor Jeff last week gave us the the insight from uh, the Gospel of John that that there was a, a constant talk about this hour, this time. It's my time is not yet. My time is not yet. Leading up to this. And now we come to chapter 12, the right before the Passion Week, in the midst of His presentation, and now the time has come. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. But the glorification that we're going to talk about is much different than the way that you and I would ever conceive of it. The way that we would ever signify it and plan it and purpose it. The very first concept that we want to see this morning is that the magnification of Jesus' glory came through trouble. The magnification. I'm using that term on purpose. Jesus is glory. Everything He is, is glorious. He is as glorious as He's ever going to be. So when we talk about magnifying the glory, it's, it's almost like you're saying, okay, here's His glory. Let's find a way to see it. And one of the ways that we see how glorious Jesus really is is through His experience of trouble. It's a lens into which we see what He's like. He was troubled or conflicted. Look at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. He was troubled and conflicted in his spirit. In other passages, this word troubled is translated terrified. Now is my soul terrified. You see the same kind of terror as Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where He was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And spending an hour plus in prayer. Remember, He goes off with Peter, James, and John. He leaves them in one spot. He says, pray with Me. And He went off a little further and He prays. And we know a little bit about what He prayed. Just a little bit. He prayed much more than what we know about because he was gone. He says, could you not wait for me even for an hour? <laughs> you couldn't do this for an hour he went, when he comes back and finds them asleep? So the content that we know is just the tip of the iceberg. Only what God wanted us to know about Jesus' prayer time. And that was, Father, if there's another way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as You will, or Thy will be done. He was experiencing turmoil within His soul. And this is part of the glorification of Jesus. The 
seeing, us seeing the glory of Jesus. For us to understand the magnitude of who Jesus really is, we have to see Him in this troublesome circumstance of turmoil and terror so we can really know this is God made flesh. God in the flesh in turmoil. God in the flesh conflicted. God in the flesh sorrowful. And yet, both in the garden and in this text, Jesus declares that it was time to do the will of the Father, even with the cost of the terror that He was feeling. Which is why we have this series of two questions. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? My soul is troubled in this moment of my glorification. My soul is troubled. What am I going to say? Don't let it happen? Instead, it was for this time, it was for this purpose that I have come to this hour, this hour of my glorification. All of this is part of it. Part of the manifestation of Jesus' glory was this endurance of suffering for us. Please hear this. Jesus endured this terror for us. He experienced physical elements to this crucifixion piece. He experienced spiritual elements to this crucifixion piece. You remember, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Spiritual elements because He became sin for us even though He knew no sin. But we see this emotional, mental peace that He endured for me and for you. You and I have experienced terror and turmoil and trouble and double-mindedness and confusion in our lives. And God made flesh entered into that same scene and experienced it for us. Oh, how He loves us. It's through the suffering that He endured, Hebrews tells us, that He became the perfect High Priest. Because He was willing to endure with us and feel what we feel and to be tempted in every way like as we are, yet to remain without sin, that He is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses when we break under that pressure. He didn't break. But He sympathizes with us. By implication, in this text, He invites you and me to be willing to endure this with Him. To endure this with Him. That's where we come off of last week's text. Look at verses 24 and following again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Can you hear the invitation to not only have Jesus die, that there'd be a multitude of fruit, but he invites you and I to be willing to relinquish our lives, that we might see a multitude of fruit where he is and this endurance of grief and sorrow and turmoil. He says, There will my servant be also. So he invites us to experience the same thing, but he has treaded those steps before us and he did this for us. No, we're not going to like it. None of us enjoy 
troublesome times and troubled spirits. And I don't say we should ever look for an opportunity to intentionally have troubled spirits and a troubled circumstance. They'll find us. (laughs) We don't need to look for them. Am I willing to let go of my plan? Am I willing to allow God to replace what I'm clinging to for what He knows is best for me? Pause. Ponder. The only way that I will be able to relinquish my own purposes and plans to be replaced with God's right plan is as I see God as faithful and trustworthy. It will come as a result of tasting that the Lord is good and gracious. A good shepherd. A great shepherd. The chief shepherd. When I see how good He is, and I've seen the track record of His faithfulness both in the biblical accounts and in life, God helps us to say, yeah, God, I know You know what You're doing. I'm still confused, but I know You know what's going on. You're worthy of trust. Remember these words from Peter, from 1 Peter chapter 2. Speaking about Jesus and then calling for a a responsiveness. When He, Jesus, was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten. Listen to this. But He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly or righteously. He continued to entrust Himself in the midst of all that He experienced. He said, I know who does what's good and right and best. It hurts. It's hard. But I trust Him. And in that place, He Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It goes on to say, by His wounds we have been healed Now here's where he's calling for a response. Or or he's really telling us, this is what has happened. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Like the Father shepherded and oversaw the soul of His Son who entrusted Him self to the good care of His good Father, so also those who have come to know God through Jesus have come to recognize the faithfulness, the trustworthiness of God. That doesn't mean it's not a struggle from time to time. That doesn't mean we're not confused and want a different way from time to time. We are normal people. We're we're human. And we feel the pain of frustration and confusion and trouble. But part of the reason that we are seeing the glorious nature of Jesus is because He endured the same kind of trouble for us. It's magnifying our view of who He is and what He's like. Head back to, we're still in John chapter 12. The magnification of Jesus' glory came through trouble. Secondly, it came through death. And we've read already verse 24 a number of times, so we're not going to reread it. But Jesus set us in motion to see that in order for Him and His life to bear the kind of fruit that was intended, He needed to die first. In this text, in verses 32 and 33, we see that same concept slightly differently so in verse 24 there's a grain of wheat going down into the earth in verses 32 and 33 we see the son of man being lifted up 
on a cross. But both the downwardness of the seed illustration and the upwardness of the cross illustration are doing the same thing. Us seeing God glorified and Jesus glorified through death. Verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. He said this to show by what kind of death He was going to die. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And He's going down into the dirt. And He's being held up on a cross. Is there glory in death? It feels at first glance and second glance and third glance and fourth glance and fifth glance that death is a great defeat. Our bodies lost a battle. Whether it's a battle to age, a battle to a disease, a battle with an immovable object that ends our lives, it feels really like a loss, doesn't it? But for those who know God and have trusted in Jesus as the only means of eternal salvation, death is in fact gain. The book of Philippians says, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. We actually sang those words in a song this morning. For me to live is Christ and to die is is gain. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul made this statement. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We would rather. We would rather. This is not just a New Testament concept either. If you think about Psalm 116 and verse 15, God's Word in the Psalms tells us precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Not only do we see it as better, but God says, this is where you really belong. This is home for you. I am home for you. As Jeff read earlier, He's a sanctuary for us. What do you do in a sanctuary? Rest. You find safety. You find peace. You find provision. He's a sanctuary for us. God says, precious in my sight is the death of my saints. This freedom from the bondage of death has arrived because of what Jesus accomplished through His glorifying death. Remember, I've tried to set the stage. I hope that it's, I hope that it's clear in your mind. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified and we see Him sorrowing and now we're seeing Him lifted up. Well, lifted up on a throne? (laughs) No. No. Lifted up on a cross. Verse 32, which we've read a couple of times already. And I, when I am lifted up, from the earth will draw all people to myself. There's an, an illusion here about Jesus being lifted up. There's an allusion to Isaiah 52 13. This will be on the screen. Take a look at the screen for a moment. Isaiah 52 13. Speaking about the suffering servant, the suffering Savior, behold, my servant shall act wisely, he shall be high. <laughs> and lifted up and shall be exalted. That concept of glory, glorified. In this lifting up, Jesus was exalted and His glory seen. What did it look like? We weren't there, so we don't know. Except we have certain bits of our conception and a little bit of history about Roman, Roman crucifixion. And we know He's on this wooden cross. And He's nailed to this wooden cross. 
And we know Him to be bloodied. And we know Him to be naked. We know Him to be in agony. Glorious? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified? Bloodied? Naked? Hanging on a tree? Yeah, to believing eyes. To those that see, behold, the man. Behold, your king. Behold, your savior. Yeah, yeah, that is glory. That is glory. Without that glorious death, there is no life for me and no life for you. To believing eyes, that is glory. To unbelieving eyes, not so much. To the Jews, the cross is a stumbling block. For cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Stumbling block. You can't be my Savior while being a curse according to God. Can't happen. Won't happen. Will not accept it. Not glorious. Shame. To the Jews, a shame. To the Gentiles, foolishness, folly. Crucifixion was the most humiliating, gruesome, inhumane execution. It was reserved for people that were considered less than human. Roman citizens were not subject to crucifixion. They were actual humans. In Jesus' humiliation, He was mocked by mankind. Rejected. He became the sin offering. And He was forsaken by the Father. Where is the glory? hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The glory is in the revelation of a God who would take on this lowly, humiliating, painful, lonely, sacrificial death. God in the flesh for us. It is the revelation of ultimate love. This is a love like no one else can offer you. No one else can offer me. This is a love like nothing and no one else. In the book of Hebrews chapter 9, speaking about Jesus, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. What shall I say? Remove me? Save me from this hour? No! For this purpose I have come to this hour that I might in a once-for-all manner take away sin from you forever to become sin for you, to be your sin offering, to remove the possibility that anyone that would trust Him would ever experience the guilt and condemnation associated with their sin because He was condemned in our place. This is love that we would never know outside of Jesus. Where's the glory? The glory is in seeing Him. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The suffering Savior is being revealed. So, the magnification of Jesus' glory through sorrow and turmoil, 
and then through death, and now, as we look a little further, through resurrection. The magnification of Jesus' glory through resurrection. Look back at verse 16. Now, we're going back a little bit to the scene where Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and the people are crying out, Save us! You're the anointed one. You're the blessed one. You're the one we were anticipating. Humbled, lowly, riding on a donkey. The foal of a donkey. The the baby of a donkey. In verse 16, we have a, a, a commentary from the Apostle John and the Spirit of God. Listen to what he says. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about Him and had been done to Him. They're equating when Jesus was glorified with after the death and burial and resurrection was complete. When Jesus was resurrected, the apostles started to put the pieces together, or better stated, as we'll see in a couple of weeks here, their eyes were opened to understand the significance of all that's going on. It was after the resurrection. The resurrection was another event in the process of helping us to see the glorious nature of Jesus. So let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. While you're turning to Philippians chapter 2, I want to remind you of a passage that you may or may not be familiar with. Helping us to see the significance of Jesus' resurrection In Romans chapter 1, in verse 4, this will be on the screen. You're still turning to Philippians 2. Romans chapter 1, speaking about the resurrection, it says, And Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. And how was that the case? How was He declared to be the Son of God in power or authority? It was by the resurrection of from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord was raised from the dead and this was a declaration to all that would pay attention that this is the Son of God with authority. This is the Son of God with power. You are seeing the glory of who He is in the resurrection. We also know that the resurrection is pointing us to something of the the nature of what God is doing. He was the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That means there's more harvest to come. Every believer in Jesus Christ will also be raised as our glorious Savior has been raised. Take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, so that's how that little paragraph ends. But verse 9, the outflow, the result of that humble, humiliating, selfless death In verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's glory that comes out of resurrection. So the the magnification of Jesus' glory just keeps on getting wider. We're getting a, a deeper, wider, broadening perspective of how glorious He is through what He experienced in suffering, through what He experienced in death, and then through His resurrection. All of this suffering and trouble and death and resurrection were part of the process whereby Jesus' glory was revealed 
And it had a tremendous impact. There are infinite results, infinite results from this process. I want to touch on some this morning. And we'll touch on some in subsequent weeks. Head back to John 12 for a moment. We read this a number of times. Verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. Part of the result, or one of the many results of Jesus being magnified and His glory seen through His suffering, death, and resurrection is that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are coming. They're coming to see Him for who He really is and being made a part of God's astounding blood-bought family. Think about this from Galatians chapter 3. Paul is speaking. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is part of what happens as, as Christ is lifted up and He's drawing all people to Himself, all the boundaries start to go away. If you're a man, you can trust Christ. If you're a woman, you can trust Christ. If you're a millionaire, you can trust Christ. If you're a peasant, like most of us, you can trust Christ. Whatever your language group, whatever your nationality, whatever your gender confusion, gender identity, whatever your married status is, you can trust Christ. He came to redeem people like me and people like you. And there are people from every one of these groups and races and positions, Democrats and Republicans, Libertarians, whatever, from every one of these, God is saving people. And it ushers in our minds to a glorious day that God tells us about in Revelation chapter 5. Listen to these words. It says, They sang a new song saying, Worthy are You, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals for You were slain and by Your blood, You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. It, this is good news, friends. Who, whoever is coming underneath the hearing of this, and whoever You might be telling the Gospel to, pointing them to Jesus, they all come underneath this concept. When Jesus is lifted up, He'll draw people from anywhere, any background, any bondage, any baggage. This is what He does. That's one result. The last result we'll talk about this morning and just be for a few moments. The glory of Jesus' accomplishment is shared. This is, this is mind-boggling. We started this off this morning Thinking about, you know, America's Got Talent and slapping contests and valedictorians and all these different awards that we're trying to win, right? We're, we're, we want to be first. If you're, you know, second place is the what? What is it? The first loser, right? We want to be first. We want to win. We want the glory. And God tells you and me, in knowing Jesus, we have all the glory we can handle. Think about this. In Jesus' accomplishment, the Father is glorified. Look at verses 28 and 
following. It says, Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it uh, said that it thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus said the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Jesus is sharing glory. Look at verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will do what? Honor him. It's not the same word as glory, but the same concept. Timé in the Greek, it means to place a, a fix of value on. The Father brings honor upon those who know His Son. Well, that doesn't convince you. One of our problems is we're seeking glory all the time. And one of the things that keeps people from trusting Jesus is they're seeking glory from other sources. Look at the end of this paragraph, the next paragraph. Look at verses 42 and 43 of John 12. John 12 Look at verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. It's a blocker. Give me some credit. I want, I want, a, I want an attaboy. I want to know I did a good job. I was languishing. I was floundering over here, but I pulled my life together and I found Jesus. Is that how it worked? Or does God tell us that no man seeks after Him? Perhaps I was languishing and floundering and perhaps God found us. Picked us up. Having laid His life down for us. Whose glory? His glory. And yet He still tells us that He's sharing it with us. Take a look at John chapter 17. I think it's on the screen so you don't have to turn there. Jesus is praying to the Father, and one of the ways He prays, it's it's really fascinating. He says in verse 22, the glory that You have given Me, Father, the glory You have given Me, I have given to them. So, this glory... The magnification of who Jesus is is being conveyed on those that trust Him. There's an honor from the Father. There's an honor from Jesus. He goes on to say that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in Me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that You have sent Me and loved them even as you loved me. So I want you to think about, okay, what is this glory conveyed? Okay, Jesus is sharing His glory. The Father is glorified in His sorrowing and death and resurrection. And then those who come to Jesus are glorified in some way. They're receiving some glory. In this text, the glory that we're receiving is the same kind of glory that Jesus is receiving. And it has to do with the union of being having the Father in us and Jesus in us and us in Him. This union and presence of God in having this unremovable, unending love of God abiding on us. The glory that we receive from Jesus by trusting Him as He's magnified His glorious scene and He shares that with us is that we are with Him and He is with us forever and his love is conveyed on us as the father's love has been conveyed on him and it's a forever love you're struggling to find acceptance in this world maybe your spouse is just not like everything you're trying 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 to win her or win him so that they'll see that you you're really in this and you want that return of love in in response 
And you're like just trying everything you can and you're just not getting it. And you're loving on your kids and they're just, they're going their own way. And you're like, I just want you to, to love me and to know how much I love you and I, I want acceptance from you and it's just not happening. You want recognition in the workplace and you're working really hard and you want people to notice. Maybe not even so you get an award, but just so that it like, feels like it's worth it. And you're not getting it. You're not getting it. You just keep on running into walls and it's like everyone else has noticed and you're just fading into the background. And everything you're investing, it just seems to be turning into ash. Do we need the glory of men? When God has conveyed His glory on us through Jesus, we feel like we need all the other stuff. Those are legitimate, felt needs. I would never diminish someone's hunger for acceptance and love from their spouse or child or parent. I would really not even diminish your desire to be recognized appropriately for your work at in your employment, that is all normal, natural stuff. But all that stuff is going to come and find an end. An end. It will come to an end. But the acceptance and the praise and the satisfaction that we really need is found in Jesus and it's there to stay. Have you found that in Him? Has He found you with the presence and love and acceptance of God Himself? We no longer need to be glory hounds. We don't need to win America's Got Talent or our family's game of Monopoly or who has the most successful career when we have all of the approval that we need with our God who knows it all and has come to dwell with us and live with us forever, we have everything. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank You that we can see in Your Son that glory doesn't always look how we expect it to. And that you kind of give us, make some sense out of the fact that sometimes in our struggling and striving here on earth, things aren't working the way that we wanted them to or that we desire them to. And yet, that does not indicate that you are not at work and, and that the acceptance and glory that really matters, that comes from you as a gift, is not real or not present. Help us, Father, to learn that You're trustworthy. Impress us more through our normal lives. Impress us more with how trustworthy You are that we would place ourselves under Your care, recognizing Your love and recognizing the value of that love that You've given to us. We pray that You'd satisfy us in Yourself. In Jesus' name, Amen.